from the Alaska Airline Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We gotta have this is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, April 15th. Hope you're doing good out there. Staying safe, staying home, hanging out with friends and family. Ahead in this hour, do our best to keep you entertained. The Seahawks, they made a one-year deal yesterday, reached an agreement with Mike Ayupati. How is their O-line shaping up as of now? We'll also hear from Bill Barnwell and Mina Kimes, who joined 710 this week to discuss improving on both sides of the ball at the line of scrimmage. So we'll hear from both of them. Also, MLB participating in a pretty cool study that will test up to 10,000 people for coronavirus antibodies. It's an unprecedented type of test. We'll explain how Major League employees, including some players, will be getting involved with that. It's all ahead in this hour, plus more from Pete Carroll and Steve Kerr as they sat down together this week. All ahead in this hour right now. Let's get to your headlines. The Seattle Seahawks reached a one-year deal to bring back guard Mike Ayupati. Uh, Ayupati signed a one-year deal worth $2.75 million with Seattle last March and basically led to that swap of guards with the Arizona Cardinals, J.R. Sweezy heading down to the desert, uh, and then Mike heading up to Seattle. Uh, Mike will turn 33 on May 12th. He made 15 starts in the regular season, but missed both of the Seahawks playoff games with a neck injury. The Seahawks have added four offensive linemen now in free agency, signing right tackle Brandon Shell, uh, center slash guard BJ Finney, guard Chance Warmack, and swing tackle slash tight end Cedric Obwehi. Of course, George Fan and Jermaine Fetty both walking as unrestricted free agents. Uh, so some tech tackles heading out the door. Center Justin Britt is coming off that torn ACL and scheduled to count $11.42 million against this season's salary cap, making him a candidate to be released or restructured. The Seahawks now have 11 remaining unrestricted free agents, including Jadevian Clowney and uh, cornerback Akeem King, running back Marshawn Lynch, linebacker Michael Kendricks, uh, among others. The Seahawks also rescinded their uh, tender on wide receiver Malik Turner, according to ESPN's Field Yates. According to a source, though, and Brady Henderson's tweet yesterday, Seattle opened to bringing him back later if he is available, but they are pretty loaded up at that position. Seven wide receivers under contract or tendered. And we've heard from many different pundits that this is a pretty loaded wide receiver draft, one of the best wide receiver classes they have seen recently. Bill Barnwell was on with 710 ESPN recently talking about how the Seahawks need to improve at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. I think obviously they can go in a lot of different directions, but I think what wins games is, is you know dominating the line of scrimmage. And I think that they have to address the line of scrimmage in this draft because they haven't done enough to address it in free agency. And he remains skeptical of some of the Seahawks' offensive line additions. You know, you're going to be relying on someone like Chance Warmack and Brandon Sheel and Cedric Agbui. Agbui is one of the worst linemen in football. Warmack was out of football last year. Um, DJ Finney is fine. But, I mean, I just, you know, this is a offensive line that I just don't, I, I don't see a lot of upside in. So uh, I feel like they still have a lot of work to do heading into the draft. 
On the other side of the ball, the defensive side, Bill Barnwell saying the Seahawks need to draft pass rush even if they end up signing Clowney or Everson Griffin. Even if you start by signing Griffin or, or signing Clowney, I think you still want to hit that front four. I mean, there's not a lot of depth now at defensive tackle. You're running with Dron Reed and Puna Ford and, and Nazir Jones. I still think you want to add a defensive tackle in one of the early rounds, another edge rusher in one of the early rounds. Because, hey, we don't know what L.J. Collier is going to be. He might be a very useful player. He might be the guy who can't play. We don't know because we barely saw him in 2019. Barnwell also talking about Shire's creativity. We've seen it here in Seattle for years, but known to get creative with his first-round pick. We know their habit is to trade down, but we know also John Shiner has been aggressive about going after players with his first-round pick in years past, just always been veterans. It's been Percy Harvin or Jimmy Graham, so not out of the question he can make that move for a a rookie coming out of the draft as well. It just has to be the kind of the right fit and the right player fall into uh, a spot where it's not too onerous of a trade-up. Our own Dave Wyman, I love this from him yesterday, uh, talking about what people that hate the Seahawks trading back in the draft do not understand. Look, there's not 32 first-round draft choices necessarily. That, that's the point. And, and again, you know, I, I'll bet you that Schneider has 15 or 16 players identified as first-round picks. And if it gets to their pick at 27, why would they take one in the first round when they don't think they think they can get a similar guy in the second round, they think totally different than everybody else, and everybody has that, right? You know, and so they they've had a fair amount of success doing it this way. And if you want to argue uh, against his grading system, that's what you would that that's an argument that you could have. Jim Moore uh, saying that he believes the Seahawks have a better chance of hitting on their first-round draft pick, though, if they stay at 27. I just think it's a year where he he needs to just stay there at 27 or or move up because I was reading something. I think it was field goals the other day, and they do a good job of covering the team, but they were saying that it gives Schneider more of a chance to hit on guys by having more picks, like having 10 or 11 picks as opposed to seven. I would argue that no, it doesn't. When you when you trade down, you're getting a lesser player overall. And and yes, you're right. It's a crapshoot. But the I think I think maybe everybody can agree with me on this one. The higher you draft, like twenty seven, you're gonna have a better chance of getting a guy than at thirty four or forty two or sixty eight. I, I think that's generally the way it goes. <laughs> Just a sigh there from Dave Wyman, but I love that they've got both sides of the issue covered on Bob Dave and Moore there. Also this week, Mina Kimes joining the station yesterday to talk about the Seahawks offseason and what they've accomplished. She gives her grade. I would give them a solid B, B plus. I mean, love the Dunbar trade. All of a sudden, the secondary looks like an area of strength for this team, which is awesome. Um, you know, there's a lot of depth around the offensive line, a lot of names people aren't really familiar with necessarily. So it's kind of hard to say how that'll shake out. Um, but by and large, I think, given what they had to work with, they did a nice job. With someone like Russell Wilson under center, Mina says that every year you should be going to the Super Bowl or attempting to, and when you don't, you should be upset. I think when you have a quarterback like Russell Wilson, any year you don't go to the Super Bowl, you should be frustrated, quite frankly. And that's not an indictment of management, because it's really, really hard to go to the Super Bowl, but... You know, just talking about questions about expectations and what should you be expecting and what 
should be the goal every year. Again, Russell Wilson is one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the NFL, so it's not enough. Mina also saying that uh, she wants to see Russ have a bigger role in the offense. Just from a play-calling perspective, Schottenheimer's done some nice stuff in Seattle. I think um, it's not that the overall offense is archaic by any means. They really do some interesting things, and they there is deception, and there is they do use play-action oil, and I think they do some creative, fun things. But I also just think uh, they should be leaning on Russell Wilson more. I, I I, I, I feel like such a broken record when I say that, but I really believe it. And it's something I'd like to see happen more often. As for the draft moving ahead as planned on April 23rd, uh, some people, mostly GMs, took issue with that and the way, the logistical way in which it will be laid out, creating some challenges for them. Mina saying, though, she didn't see an issue with it moving as planned. There's been some disagreement about this. I'm fine with the draft happening. I don't think it's a big deal. I know some teams have complain because of course they're going to complain anything that adds risk to you know for them is, is going to be a issue but by and large i think it's an event that they were able to have remotely and i don't think there's a problem with that it's only going to be a problem when we get to otas training camp the actual events that the nfl will have to make serious public health decisions around that's when i think it's going to get trickier Daniel Jeremiah, who is an NFL network analyst and does an incredible job, uh, he talked about how the perception of the draft is split, and it usually is based on the age of the general manager. I talked to a bunch of GMs, and it really, it for the most part, and that I want to sound like an is ageist a word, but the younger guys are like, it's no big deal. You know, we got our setup here. We got rock and Wi-Fi. I've got Zoom. I've got all, you know, the Microsoft conference with the, the key people we have. Uh, to get in communi- uh, communication with, and it, it won't be that big of a deal. Then you talk to some of the older guys, and like, man, I don't know, what happens? How are we going to get a hold of this guy and that guy? I'm like, you guys are going to be fine, man. It's, it's all right. You guys are going to figure this thing out. Uh, I, I think going through the whole mock draft process, just to get a feel for how it goes, um, I, I think that'll alleviate a lot of concerns. And I think some folks, you know, you've seen movies, and you think, man, when you're on the clock, then you canvas everybody in the room, and there's 20 people in there. What do you think we should do? Like, come on, those decisions are all made. You've got your list. You're ready to go. Check them off and, and, and pick who's left. Up next on The Blitz, employees of Major League Baseball teams will participate in a huge study that will test up to 10,000 people for coronavirus antibodies. What do they hope to accomplish with that? Who will be participating, including players? It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, April 15th. Major League Baseball and some of their employees taking part in a pretty expansive new study that will help out researchers understand the widespread nature of COVID, especially in large metropolitan areas. Jeff Passan wrote a great article for ESPN.com talking about how Major League Baseball employees of their teams will participate in this study. It will test up to 10,000 people for coronavirus antibodies. And the hope is to help researchers understand uh, those major metropolitan areas, how widespread the disease is. So it's not about the sport itself, more about the large sample size and 
uh, available testees at the disposal of this organization. Doctors caution that the data gathered is not expected to bring back baseball any faster. It's to help them understand the the disease better. Excuse me, Jeff Passan was on SportsCenter yesterday detailing the test. Major League Baseball is going to be participating in a study that's going to include 10,000 antibody tests. Now, there's a difference between the antibody tests and the tests that are done looking for the novel coronavirus live in patients who are sick in medical personnel. Antibody testing tries to find out after the fact whether people had coronavirus and maybe were asymptomatic. And when you have 10,000 tests going out across the country to organizations that are giving them out to their employees, this includes players, concession workers, a wide range of people, this is going to be the biggest such study in the United States. And the researchers with whom I spoke today hope that ultimately the results of this study are going to help the, the nation open back up over the next few weeks or months as we understand just how far the coronavirus has spread. Passon explaining, again, it's not about baseball, the sport specifically, just about the large group of people that they're able to test. One of the doctors with whom I spoke today said, this is not about baseball coming back. This is about baseball doing a public service. And when Rob Manfred says he's looking out for public health, they are clearly putting their money where their mouth is at this point because they are going to have the largest sample of people. And we're talking, Ravi, New York, Los Angeles, Kansas City, Houston. I mean, we're talking every major league city across the country is going to have a sample. They are going to be de-identified. So you're not going to know who has what or who had tested positive or who has the antibodies. And then the research is going to be looked at out at Stanford University. And there could be a paper peer reviewed as soon as next week, telling us more than we may know so far about the coronavirus. And Major League Baseball will be right in the center of that. Passon mentioned it there, but the study being run by Stanford University, USC, and the Sports Medicine Research and Testing Laboratory. Researchers will use test kits. They draw blood via just a pinprick and offer results within 10 minutes. They'll detect between the prevalence of IgM, that's an antibody produced relatively early in those who have been infected with COVID-19, and a second form called IgG that doctor said lasts long after the infection happens. A positive test would confirm that a person did infect contract coronavirus even if they were asymptomatic passing detailing the simple procedure well the procedure is actually really simple you take a needle you pinprick your finger you put a drop of blood into a little sort of plastic test kit you pipe a couple of other uh things into there and 10 minutes later ding all of a sudden you see if you have antibodies for coronavirus or not. And this is the sort of testing, John, that public health officials really believe is going to be a game changer. Because while we have been desperately short in testing to figure out whether you have coronavirus at this very moment, what the antibody test does is it tells you if you might have had it and been asymptomatic, or if you might have had it and just had very light symptoms and didn't even realize it. And we'll at the end of this, what the researchers are hoping is that Major League Baseball employees can be a proxy for the rest of the country and give us a much better sense of exactly how many people might have been infected by this. And if the number is significantly higher, 
than the number of positive tests we have right now, all of a sudden the onus to open up the country and to restart businesses is a lot greater. The MLB Players Association is aware of the study and suggested players participate if they want to. Some teams have offered an antibody test to their players, whereas others haven't, according to Passon's article. Sean Doolittle, one of the most thoughtful players in baseball and uh, one of the best follows online as well on Twitter, um, was on ESPN Radio yesterday talking about MLB helping with COVID testing. First of all, I, I hope it helps. Um, I, just full disclosure, I did not participate in the study. Um, I was not asked, um, so I don't know a lot about how they're selecting uh, players or staff members uh, for the study. Um, but the hope is that, um, like, we can provide like a sample uh, with a, a large enough cross section, age differences, and and stuff like that. Um, different demographics and from different parts of the country that we can start to get an understanding of how it spreads or uh, what the what the possibilities of like a herd immunity might be like do people are people building up antibodies to this if they've had it or maybe even like if if people are they might have it and just be completely asymptomatic which is kind of like a scary thing to think about when you talk about slowing the spread of the virus but um that stuff seems like it's the primary the the primary goal of the study sean doolittle also with some other thoughts uh played later for you in this hour but talking about how the mlb's plan to Uh, restart perhaps in a biosphere of sorts, whether it's in Arizona or split in the uh, Arizona slash Grapefruit League areas uh, could potentially uh, lead to uh, not positive things. John Doolittle talked about how baseball doesn't happen in a vacuum and that you need a lot of people to make this happen. And that if, uh, if the pandemic, people may think the pandemic is over if sports come back too soon. We'll play that for you later in the hour. Up next on the Blitz, though, Dave Wyman breaking down a draft prospect that he really likes. And also Mina Kimes more on grading the Seahawks offseason. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, April 15th. A moving full steam ahead for the NFL draft. Our own Dave Wyman has been looking at a couple of prospects on the Bob David Moore show in the afternoons. And this time, uh, who better to analyze a linebacker than a linebacker? He took a look at Zach Bond uh, out of Wisconsin, number three linebacker on Mel Kuyper's draft board. Recently was in the news because he tested positive for a diluted sample at the NFL Combine. Uh, Dave mentions that in this analysis, but we'll also dig into the more of that later in the hour. For now, here is Bob's breakdown of Zach Bond. We've been taking a look at different names, tons of mock drafts out there for everybody who's, you know, a draft Nick, really invested in what others are thinking the Seahawks may do if they stick with uh, their spot at number 27. We've seen a bunch of different names attached to this team in those mock drafts. And Dave Wyman has been breaking down film on all of these guys. He's been a really tough grader, which I think is how you should go. Um, I'm just curious because you're breaking down a linebacker today, Dave. So I'm I'm just going (laughs) to... Think out loud, wondering if maybe you soften your stance because it's a linebacker, or did you did you go heavy on this guy? Who are we talking about today? 
Yeah, uh, we're talking about Zach Bond, B-A-U-N, from Wisconsin. And uh, this was uh, Danny Kelly's uh, pick. And I'm not sure who Danny Kelly is, honestly. Um, But, you know, that was what he thought that the Seahawks were going to use their 27th pick on. So uh, I'll say this. First of all, yeah, usually, Bob, I am uh, a lot tougher on, on linebackers. I really like this kid. I mean, and part of it is... The last two days, my two favorite programs, I guess I just there's something about the players, LSU and Wisconsin. And Zach Bond is a linebacker, outside linebacker from Wisconsin. And and But first of all, let's get this out of the way. This just came up today that uh, he tested positive for a diluted urine sample, which means a lot of times... You know, if if they think that they're going to test positive, you can drink a whole bunch of water. There's things you're you're not supposed to do, and that you're, you know, supposed to do. And I guess uh, he said that at the combine, the reason why is because he feels like he needs to be a little bit heavier. He's listed as 238, and I think he was trying to get up to like 240. And you know, those kinds of things kind of stick in in people's minds. You know, like oh, this guy's a little bit light when really it's only two pounds. I mean, it's just. You know, it's kind of like the, the Mendoza line in in baseball, right? I mean, if you're at 199 or, uh, you know, 201 doesn't really matter. But just because you're over that amount, it, it sticks in people's minds. So I, I feel like he was trying to do that, but maybe not. Maybe he did. Maybe there was some, you know, skullduggery going on, as Danny would say. Um, so I'm not sure why he was he had the diluted uh, urine sample. So... But, you know, that's that's sort of the downside. But from what I saw from him, first of all, his stats uh, at the Combine, he he actually ran a 4.65.40, and I, he looks faster than that to me. And we've talked about this before, that there's field speed. You know, some guys run really fast, and then they get in the game and they jog, or they just don't run their fastest. Uh, I think he actually plays faster than a 4.65. Um, other interesting kind of, thing about him is that he's a former quarterback he came in as a really highly touted quarterback coming out of college and i'm sure or high school and i'm sure that he played you know some defense as well but you know he he's kind of got an understanding but his stats are what really kind of blow you away because he had 12 and a half sacks last year and 19 and a half tackles for loss but he also had 75 tackles and he had a pick six and uh, he had a really good drop. So he's, and I hate to say this, Jim, because I know you don't you don't like any talk of four three versus three four. But this kid is like a perfect three four outside linebacker. And so for that reason, I mean, when I'm looking at him, you know who he look he reminds me of kind of is Michael Kendricks. And I, I'm not sure what they're going to do with him, and if that's that's going to work out or not. But. Um, that's kind of he can pretty much do everything but he's a great edge rusher 6 238 zach bond out of wisconsin ran a 4 6 40 yard dash as mentioned there by dave wyman and I actually have the sound clip for you adam schefter talking yesterday about zach bond and his positive test or for a diluted sample nfl teams were notified within the last 24 hours that wisconsin linebacker zach bond who's the third-rated linebacker on Mills' big board, tested positive at the Combine in February for a diluted sample that he blamed on drinking too much water. Now, keep in mind, his weight at the Senior Bowl was 242 pounds. He was in the mid to high 230s at the Combine. I'm told 
He was drinking a ton of water trying to get that weight up. Here's the interesting twist. Under the terms of the new collective bargaining agreement, it will not count against Zach Bond as a strike. And so teams look at this test, and while I'm sure they don't like hearing about it, I don't think they're overly concerned about it. I think they're buying the story. I think they believe it. That was Adam Schefter yesterday on ESPN. Mina Kimes uh, joining Tom, Jake, and Stacy as well to talk about the Seahawks offseason. What grade does she give it thus far? With everything that they've done or not done this offseason, what do you think? What do you think? How would you grade them so far this offseason? Well, I tend to be given an incomplete because we still don't know what's happening with the greatest need, which is edge rusher. Um, and I would, you know, I, without knowing what the plans are for whether or not they're going to add Clowney, Griffin, or even trade for Ngakwe, it's hard to say. But separate from that, I would I would give them a solid B, B plus. I mean, love the Dunbar trade. All of a sudden, the secondary looks like an area of strength for this team, which is awesome. Um, you know, there's a lot of depth around the offensive line, a lot of names people aren't really familiar with necessarily, so it's kind of hard to say how that'll shake out. Um, but by and large, I think given what they had to work with, they did a nice job. Yeah, and look, we heard a cut from John Schneider before. It was actually from last year, talking about how the team resets every offseason and debating whether or not that's a good or a bad thing. You know, they've been to the playoffs a couple years in a row, but they keep getting bounced either in the wild card or divisional round. Are are you a fan who's starting to get frustrated with that, or do you say, you know what, they're making the playoffs every year, that's good enough? I, I think when you have a quarterback like Russell Wilson, any year you don't go to the Super Bowl, you should be frustrated, quite frankly. And that's not an indictment of management, because it's really, really hard to go to the Super Bowl, but... You know, just talking about questions about expectations and what should you be expecting and what should be the goal every year. Again, Russell Wilson is one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the NFL, so it's not enough. Um, and I do think there's a kind you know, sometimes it's bad luck. This team had a fair amount of injuries last year, I mean, the previous year too, and I think that certainly showed up. But then there are decisions in holes. You think, wow, like really, you know, the – there are certain areas that you feel could have been addressed. I think, for example, going back to your first question, if they don't address the edge in a satisfactory way, that will be a, a black mark for them. And then if they don't, you know, if the defense isn't effective enough again, which they weren't last year, um, that'll be something you point to. Mina, how do you think that the NFL is doing in terms of managing the offseason so far? It, it has obviously been chaotic. It's crazy. We look at how the draft is is going to be conducted it's probably going to be a very unique one probably some technical difficulties along the way i'm sure uh but how do you think the nfl has managed this offseason amidst uh, a pandemic yeah we'll see about those technical difficulties and uh whether john schneider has trouble trading down right um i yeah. i think it's been fine because they, it hasn't been that challenging for them i i there's been some disagreement about this. I'm fine with the draft happening. I don't think it's a big deal. I know some teams have complained because, of course, they're going to complain. Anything that adds risk to you know for them is, is going to be a issue. But by and large, I think it's an event that they were able to have remotely, and I don't think there's a problem with that. It's only going to be a problem when we get to OTAs, training camp, the actual events that you know the NFL will have to make serious public health decisions around 
um, whether or not there's a preseason after training camp. That's when I think it's going to get trickier. So at this point, really don't really know how the league is doing because they haven't had to do anything difficult yet. April 23rd, though, the NFL draft will be here uh, sooner than you think. Up next on The Blitz, it's time for the hot list. More on MLB's unprecedented test uh, that's going to be taking place among employees and who might be participating. Uh, It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! draft will be moving ahead on April 23rd, and as we've heard, some GMs complain about others seem perfectly fine with it, including Cliff Kingsbury, so there's a lot bigger things going on in the world right now. And Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network analyst, said that the perception of the virtual draft seems to be split among GMs, and he said he didn't want to be ageist, but generally tends to be the younger ones that were uh, okay on board with it, and some of the older ones that were more reticent. Thomas Dimitrioff, Falcons GM, joining, I believe it was the Adam Schefter podcast this week to talk about the stipulations, including how there is one tech person allowed. Technology staff has done, they've really done a really good job setting me up with the basics of what is needed at a high level, of course. We're allowed one tech person in our place during the draft. And that person, I've, I've joked about this and I'm not making light of the situation, but That person cannot be Dan Quinn as a former electrician back when he was 22 working as an apprentice for an an electrician somewhere in in the state of New Jersey. It has to be a legit tech person who is coming in. So I have our head of technology, Mike Cruz, coming in. He's going to be living out of my basement for three days, actually. And, you know, Rich McKay will have someone up in his upstairs apartment and Dan will figure it out with his situation as well. So what we're doing there is we're having that one tech gal guy in and around and if we need them, they come up, you know, mask, gloves. But I don't want them up in, in my part of the world at all. So that'll also be interesting because still with the, the quarantine part of this, uh, Dimitrov also, maybe the only person I've heard to say this, that he expects the same amount of trades to happen. A lot of organizations uh, saying that they don't see how they could replicate that same amount of trades because no time extensions have been given. They're operating under the same clock and the same limitations there. And with all the things that need to happen in terms of phone calls, connections, uh, within that limited time time period, uh, that those could drop. And we even heard Pete Carroll mention and talk about something like that on Sirius XM. But Thomas Dimitrov expects the same amount of trades to happen. Um, Matt Rule, a brand new head coach for the Carolina Panthers, also talked about preparing for the NFL draft uh, as a new head coach. I, I think a lot of this is, as you as you try to project what guys are going to be, you know, once they hit the National Football League, um, a lot of it has to do with who they are, what makes them tick, you know, what they find important. And I think, you know, even if you don't coach someone in college, if you recruited them, if you've gotten to know them, you, you, you get a feel for that. And you walk away from this saying, hey, you know, I, I think this guy's best football is ahead of him, or this guy, we can really develop uh, this player. And so I think those relationships are important. I think, you know, just knowing a lot of the, 
college coach as well and, and, and have a guy say to you, hey, listen, this guy, you know, he maybe hasn't had the career yet that he, he thought he was going to have or he got injured his senior year, but I'm telling you he can make your football team. I think those relationships are every bit as important. So, um, you know, our scouts have done a great job, but we as coaches are also trying to make sure we turn over every rock because, uh, you know, we have to sign a lot of guys. We, we have to sign a lot of, you know, undrafted free agents, and we're hoping that some of those guys can make our team and go out there and, and be impact players for us. The uh, the undrafted free agency is where things will get really interesting this year. Uh, President Donald Trump said yesterday he will enlist advisors from just about every sector of American commerce, uh, also the medical fields, elected office, as well as the sports world to help him shape his plans to reopen the American economy in wake of the coronavirus pandemic. The panel of advisors will operate separately from the designated White House task force uh, that's leading the administration's public health strategy related to the pandemic. But there might be some overlap between the two groups included in a list of more than 200 advisors with the president, which the president will be consulting over the phone uh, are numerous sports executives, including NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban, also pretty much the head of every professional sports group in the country, MLB's Rob Manfred, got Gary Bettman from the NHL, Roger Goodell from the NFL, UFC's Dana White, uh, also representatives from the PGA and NASCAR. So a large group of people involved in this and, and many uh, from the sports world of as well. Jeff Passan had a great article up at ESPN.com talking about this unprecedented test that Major League Baseball will be involved in. Employees of Major League Baseball teams are participating in this massive study that will test up to 10,000 people for coronavirus antibodies. It will help researchers understand how widespread the disease is in major metropolitan areas across the U.S. Doctors caution that the data gathered is not expected to hasten the return of Major League Baseball, but it's for the good of humanity to help them better understand this pandemic. It's being run by Stanford University, USC, and the Sports Medicine Research and Testing Laboratory. Researchers will use these test kits. They draw blood via pinprick and offer results within 10 minutes. And they'll detect the prevalence of IgM, an antibody produced relatively early in those who have been infected with COVID-19, as well as look for a second Form, IgG that doctors say lasts longer after the infection happens. A positive test would confirm that a person did in fact contract coronavirus even if he or she was asymptomatic. And Jeff Passan on SportsCenter last night wanted to clarify what this test is aimed at. Yeah, I think that we need to serve as the message in saying that there is a big difference between the tests that healthcare workers need, that people who are sick need, and the tests that Major League Baseball is getting right now. These sorts of tests are tests for research. They're tests for epidemiology. They're tests to look back on what may have happened, not what is happening in this moment. They're called serology tests. And if you have serology tests, you have a much better sense of what the population writ large ends up looking like and just how many people 
are carrying these antibodies. And the whole idea is once you get to the point where a large number of people are carrying these antibodies, it's what's called herd immunity. And if you have herd immunity, all of a sudden the coronavirus isn't nearly as scary or as dangerous. Now, this is going to be the first, John, of a number of tests. There are two more going on right now, studies in California. And the hope among epidemiologists is that this is going to become a regular thing, not just for Major League Baseball, but that the, the whole population ultimately can know if they have coronavirus or not. So pretty cool. We don't know exactly who will be participating yet, but uh, it will provide an unprecedented sample sample of people across the country in major cities, um, perhaps some players participating as well. Sean Doolittle was on ESPN Radio yesterday, and he said that he wasn't asked to participate, but he was aware of it and really happy about it. Um, He also talked about how baseball doesn't happen in a vacuum, and that needs to be something that they consider when talking about bringing it back. We had heard that plan to restart baseball as early as May in Arizona, where all 30 teams would be there and playing basically... um, in relative isolation, living in relative isolation, going just from the ballpark to their hotels. Sean Doolittle just cautioning against uh, bringing back baseball too soon. I think we're realizing that, you know, baseball doesn't happen in a vacuum and that if we're going to, you know, put a league together in Arizona or a a split league in Arizona and Florida, there are a lot of, of moving parts to that, not just with players and their families and the coaching staff, but you think also about the number of workers behind the scenes in the clubhouses, in hotels, transportation workers, uh, food service employees, people that really help us, you know, put uh, a Major League Baseball game on and help it really come to life. And, you know, those people need to be afforded the same protections and and care and, and stuff that we would get in those situations. And, and it's just it, it, it's just tough. Um, I think as a league, um, you know, we want to be part of that healing process, but we also, you know, have a huge responsibility to make sure that we do it safely and ethically, and uh, when the time is right. Also, kind of lost in this too. Baseball was still investigating the Red Sox uh, during this time. We had heard the ruling in the Astros sign stealing case already, but Red Sox were continuing uh, to be under investigation and their new manager Ron Ronicki talked about how he'd like to have that investigation done before baseball returns. It'd be nice to um, to get that done before we come back again so before we we start training again it would be nice to have that behind us. I, I haven't heard when the, when they would do something um, I think I somebody said something about a comment that they, they would like to have it out before we start training camp again and I think that would be uh, nice if we could do that. The Seahawks reached a one-year deal to bring back guard Mikey Potty. He signed uh, a deal worth 2.75 million with Seattle last March basically sending J.R. Sweezy down to the desert and bringing Yupati up here to Seattle. He'll turn 33 on May 12th, made 15 starts in the regular season last year, but missed both of the Seahawks' playoff games with a neck injury. The Seahawks have added four offensive linemen now in free agency, but also tackles George Fant and Jermaine Effetti walked as unrestricted free agents. Uh, center Justin Britt coming off that torn ACL schedule to count $11.42 million against this season's salary cap, so 
He is a candidate to be released or restructured. The Seahawks have 11 remaining unrestricted free agents. Also rescinded their tender on wide receiver Malik Turner, according to Field Yates. They're pretty stacked at that position, and it is a very loaded wide receiver draft. We know this. Also, just trying to celebrate happy things. Today is April 15th, and that is Jackie Robinson Day. And as a baseball fan... Uh, I always look forward to this day, a huge celebration of the life and career of one of baseball's greatest and most impactful players. And not being able to watch that this year is uh, kind of a bummer, but uh, the message is still there. And also remembering that Ken Griffey Jr., our own, uh, had a big part in that, wanted to, was a big part of the reason that now his his number is worn by all players. He was the first player to come up with the idea of wearing number 42 on April 15th. Actually implemented it twice. Uh, the first time on April 15th, 1997, the 50th anniversary of Robinson's Major League debut, breaking the color barrier. The day Bud Selig retired his number, uh, Griffey was playing for the M's and asked that his uniform number be flipped from 24 to 42. Ten years later, Griffey again wanted to wear number 42 to commemorate the 60th anniversary of Robinson's debut. But since his number was retired, he asked to, had to ask permission and called up Bud Selig at home to make it happen. Um, so pretty cool that now it is a league-wide tradition and Griffey a big part of that. And Jackie Robinson's legacy, of course, living on such an incredible player and I think it's a lesson we can take uh, into our lives now too for bravery that uh, these times are uncertain and and trying but a lesson of bravery and compassion for others uh, should always be uh, a part of our lives that's a wrap for the hot list in the entire blitz at six hour Danny and Gallant are coming your way next but I want to thank all of the people throughout this country who were just so wonderful during those trying days I appreciate it no end. It's the greatest honor any person could have. And I only hope that I'll be able to live up to this tremendously fine honor. It's, it's something that I think those of us who are fortunate again must use in order to help others because it's such a tremendous honor that we should be able to go out and do things to help. I'm just grateful and I'm sorry it's taking so long, but I just wanted you to know I appreciate it so much. Thank you.